the Dream Baby Dream podcast. Welcome back to Dream Baby Dream. We are not ACTC today. No, we are not. I am not Amy Coomer. Um, I've got Nicola Harkin on with me today. Unfortunately, Amy has COVID. <laughs> She's just a little circle of disease at the moment. She has been for a while, but I think it finally got her. Nicola has very nicely agreed to fill in for Amy this week, uh, just because we, we couldn't even do it remotely. Amy is so dead. She's poor thing. Just not okay so sending lots of love amy and i hope by the time you hear this you're feeling better so we'll crack in by starting with our quote of the week which amy usually finds so i have just taken one from the warehouse workshop instagram um it's a nice one from johnny depp would you like to read it sure it says um with any part you play there is a certain amount of yourself in it there has to be otherwise it's not acting it's lying Johnny Depp. And you know what? That's actually on our whiteboard in the foyer. Well, <laughs> uh, we'll talk a bit about our week. Uh, what have I done this week? Oh, I was very sick. <laughs> I was very, very ill. Mm. Um, I'd, like, I'd like to say that I beat the virus, but I did not. Um, I felt a bit better yesterday after I tested negative. Um, I went to work. I got my hair done. I bought a vacuum because I'm an adult now and I have to buy a vacuum kind is it a good one um no it's just one from kmart well i mean it's it's a it's a cordless one. Oh, that's good yeah and it's great because i literally had clumps of my hair gathering around the house yeah the tumbleweeds yes the yeah. tumbleweeds of red hair i'm aware yeah but yours is red so yours would stick out yes. yeah no i just get the tumbleweeds of um blonde, of hair. blonde ones and because yeah. i have carpet in my bedroom it's just it just sticks to it uh what did you do this week nick uh what did i do it was um a pretty pretty standard week i think um I got a new job last Saturday. Well, it was my trial shift last Saturday. So I uh, have started working in a nightclub in surfers. Uh, So that's a bit of fun. I don't know. I just had a pretty cruisy week mostly. Um, Watched a few musical movies with Tess on Sunday night. (laughs) That's so wholesome. Yeah, because like I hadn't seen – oh, God, what did we even watch? Oh, I hadn't seen Hamilton. Nice. God, for shame, oh no. Um, yeah, I hadn't seen Hamilton and she hadn't seen Les Mis and we sort of got angry at each other for not having seen them. So, yeah, <laughs> Fair enough. we watched them. Um, we'll just get straight into it. Um, our guest today is a very, very, very special guest. We are very excited to welcome this mm. guest on. Um, you know her a bit better. Do you want to give a bit of a blurb? Oh, sure. Um, oh, oh, on the spot. <laughs> on the spot. So, <laughs> we have... Um, dialect coach um gabrielle rogers coming in gabby is one of my favorite people and one of my favorite um teachers that has ever taught me in in terms of acting so she taught me uh u.s accent among but she's also well versed in dialect and accents from everywhere um her imdb profile on the films that she's worked with and the people that she's worked with is absolutely incredible um she's just such a like warm funny loving person and mm. i'm so excited to just get to sit down and have a chat with her yeah, yeah she's fantastic she's one of the most charismatic just beautiful souls i've ever met she's absolutely amazing we're so excited to sit down and talk to her um it's going to be a really great interview um so we'll just get straight into that one um thank you again nick for uh 
filling in for Amy on our uh, interview today. It is no problem. It'll be fun and I'm sure Gabs will love to talk to you as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm very excited. (laughs) Stoked to be here. Cool. So uh, we welcome Gabby, Gabby Rogers. And we are in the studio with Gabby Rogers, Gabrielle Rogers. How are you today? Oh, darling. I'm all the flavours, all, all the, the colours, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I love that so much. It's my first pandemic. Um, mm. But I find... Yours too? <laughs> yeah. No, so actually. I <laughs> went through another one before. You and the no. Spanish flu are like... <laughs> yeah, look, it's my first time round on this... Um, on this shit show and I have to say I'm underwhelmed Mm. (laughs) I'm I'm underwhelmed I'm not even whelmed I'm fully underwhelmed with with pandemic I'm not enjoying that very much I'm I'm guessing I'm not alone in that Mm. but I'm okay you know like my house didn't get flooded um I still haven't got COVID which is remarkable because you know by all statistics I should have by now Mm. um or maybe I haven't I just didn't notice it's, it's, um, a pos- it's well, possible. I mean, yeah, it's possible. It's yeah. It'd be nice to say that that I that I beat the virus also, but no, it, it recently hit me. It got you. It got me hard. It was you bad. Never know to look at you. It's hard to, unless you like test every day. You just it's just it can yeah. pass you right by, and you just don't know. Well, yeah. this is what's great about working in the film biz and working in TV. Is that you have to get tested every day. <laughs> like, you don't have a choice. You know? Yeah, you know if you've got it or not. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you know. All right, Gabby. Um, just to start things off, tell us a bit about yourself and what do you do. My name is Gabrielle Rogers. I am, the thing that I put on my tax return is that I'm a voice coach. And what that means is I help predominantly actors, 99% of the people that I work with are actors, with their speech. And that includes dialect, so accents for stage and screen. And for the last seven years, I've been working primarily, nearly solely, in um, feature film and TV, which is, you know, very great very lucky for me um yeah that's that's me you know i've got a couple of kids you know a couple of other businesses um i like candles with two wicks at the end i tend <laughs> to do that a bit i don't know if anyone anyone else in the gig economy is used to that experience yeah that's that's if, if i had to measure myself in a teaspoon let's do it <laughs> no we love it um uh, how did you enter your way into the voice industry Um, were you always a dialect coach and how did that all come about this is this is a question I get asked a lot and I would ask the same question of myself eight years ago because what the heck so from the age of ages of 14 to 28 I was an actor so I used to come to a place like this academy that we're in today and I would do weekly classes and I got an agent through that that um, acting academy and, and then I booked a television commercial and and then I did lots of Shakespeare in the Park and stuff like that. So from the ages of 14 to 28, I was an actor. And in that time, I was also a waiter and a university student and uh, sometime traveler and heartbreaker and broken heart and um, did all of that. And this was all in Sydney. And then got married to a wonderful man. And we had our first child. And I thought, oh, look, this money thing's all a bit real, you know, waiting tables and waiting for my television commercial um is a bit stressy so i thought "Mm, i probably need to turn this into something a bit more remunerative so i just through sheer dumb luck found myself teaching at one of those little drama academies that kids go to learn how to act and stuff and so i was teaching kids and thought i have no idea what i'm doing and Mm -hmm. then i thought well if i'm going to be a teacher if i'm going to teach speech and drama and acting and that then i want to be the best one of those i can be so I 
applied to NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Art, in their postgraduate voice course, and I got in. And I didn't really know what it was. And they rang me and they said, look, we only accept three people every two years. You're in. Would you like to start? And I wow. said, are you sure? It's, it's Gabrielle. It's Rogers. Are you sure you've got the right person? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're pretty confident. Unless you don't want to. And I said, oh, no, I want to. Like, I'm existentially depressed at this whole kind of, you know, trying to be a working mum on an, on an average income of like $12,000 a year. No, that sounds great. Let's yeah. do that. So I studied at NIDA and that was a really intense postgraduate course. It's now an MFA. Um, but when I did it, it was a grad dip. Mm-hmm. And as I said, there were only two other students in the entire year. And um, it was about the second week in and the beautiful, a beautiful teacher, Mr. Bill Pepper, uh, who lives in Annandale in Sydney, he said he was telling us about this thing. We're in this tiny little room, you know, it's covered in you know cat hair and wet bathers on the back of the, you know, towels and teapots everywhere and poetry everywhere. And he said, blah, 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 blah. The voice coach of the production, blah, 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 blah. And I just went... Sorry, Bill, what's a, what's a voice coach? And he said, the voice coach, the person in charge of the vocal life of the play, the accents, dialects, projection, acoustics, vocal health, grammar, classical text, voice coach. And I said, right, yeah, sorry, sorry, silly me. <laughs> and then about you know, like a nanosecond later, my little hand went up again. And I said, sorry, is that, is that a job? And he said, well, not much in Australia, no, but if you were in England, it would be. And I just went, fuck me. And I've still got it somewhere at home. In my little notepad, I've got voice coach written down and sort of circled, you know, sort of cutting into the page of my biro. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, like forever. (laughs) Get me a voice coach forever. Can't use the next 20 pages. 20 pages. Because you've just indented them. That's right. Or they'll just always be tattooed with that. And, um, And then I spent the next 15 years saying yes to everything that was 2006 I spent the next 15 years just saying yes to everything and and doing as much of that as I could so I've worked with politicians none that are current none (laughs) the ones that I the one that I really worked with was so good he couldn't get into power hi Chris um he was a really good guy (laughs) really good guy um if you're listening (laughs) yeah obviously not a very good politician because too good um so politicians journalists um people who just wanted to sound and feel more confident in their speech, but predominantly actors because that's what actors do for a living, of course. You guys know that that actors talk, mm-hmm. even if they're signing. There's a lot of sign language work happening at the moment, which is beautiful to watch, but it's still communication through language. So, you know, so I've been doing that. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's, that's, that's so fun. That's such like a unpredictable sort of Origin. pathway yeah. to yeah, get I to yeah I didn't know it was a thing I was like 30 <laughs> or something and then and, just and sort of figuring out with each step that you took yeah. completely yeah. and Dean Carey the wonderful teacher at um, the Actors Centre Australia in Sydney he said in a class when I was a student there he said uh, you have to do what charms you mm. and I've, I've always flown with that like you know with kids it's it's scary you know you, you can't just be completely reckless there has to be a consideration of the consequences of the people that you love but yeah I mean I've spent the last before this shit show started I was overseas half of the year you mm. know just in waking up and going where am I oh right I'm in Atlanta okay <laughs> or I'm in what looks like London or calculated risk you know strategically yeah. mm. strategic moves to do what charms me and you know I, I still do that like I'm 70 5,000 years old now <laughs> and no I'm not going to answer that question <laughs> a number of men that want to know far out really? um, yeah sorry guys just just a number anyway. take a guess and that's what it is and that's what, <laughs> go with that. what do I look like I'll take it yeah. 
but just um, just doing what charms you. And so, yeah, I didn't know it was a job. And I think that, sorry to get a bit polemic, but I think that a lot of people who go to drama class, like I did when I was 14, I just went because my big brother was doing it and he couldn't go one night. My mum said, well, we've paid for the class. <laughs> so I said, I'll go. And they couldn't hear me because I was such a shy kid. I was this mumbling shy kid no. in the corner. No way. Yeah, way. <laughs> way. Right? See what acting does to yeah. you. See what acting can <laughs> Crazy. Jesus. <laughs> Put a warning, warning sign on that. Um, so I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a, an agenda or a trajectory or... A dream. I'm always wary. People say, I've got this dream. <laughs> dream just makes it seem unreachable. Unreachable. I speak good. You <laughs> do the good speakers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dream, dream scares me because it's, it's a bit sort of intangible or mm. airy-fairy. For mm. me, it's always just been that sounds like fun. I think everything that I've done in my life, which is a bit, a bit telling here. My kids will go, yeah, that, that's her. That's, that's that bitch. Um, it's just because I thought, oh, that'll be fun. You know? That's a good way to live. It's a yeah. fun way to live. I mean, you know. Sounds like fun. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Again, calculated. No, yeah, 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 I love yeah. lists and I'm a big pro and con list maker. Mm-hmm. Like any big decisions, pros I'm and the same. cons. Yeah. You know, a bit slow. Can't make a decision too quickly. But once I'm in, yeah, let's You're do that. Yeah, what great. am I wearing? Where do I stand? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Um, we, I prepped you on this earlier, but just to break the ice a little bit, get to know you a bit deeper. Um, do you have a most embarrassing story in the industry, um, that just made you want to crawl into a hole, die, awful, just... Still today, still today. Sometimes I wake up and go, oh, you're that idiot that did that thing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. This was... When, when you approached this one with me, I just went, yep. <laughs> no hesitation. That's the story. So for those of anybody that's listening that know me, they've heard this story six times. Um, so go and get a cup of tea now. So it was 1900 and frozen to death. and I, No, it wasn't. It was early 2000s. And um, my beautiful best friend Nicola and I had just driven from Sydney down. It's not me. Not you. I didn't know you I then. Wish. No. It, I was if, a it child. Been, you. If it was you, maybe this would have played out very differently. <laughs> but I doubt it because my, my girl was, was also pretty glamorous too. So anyway, so Nicola and I, my, my bestie, had driven down from Sydney to Melbourne. So we'd spent 11 hours in the car together. So we were sick of each other. We'd like, we'd caught up on all the gossip, you know, fixed the problems of the world. <laughs> and one of the things that we had planned, and this was just, you know, girls weekend away. And one of the things that we had planned was to go, and we had tickets that night to the Melbourne Theatre Company's production of Sam Shepard's play, True West. And Daisy Wenham, David Wenham was, was uh, one of the actors on stage. I'm sorry, I can't remember the other two actors that were on stage that night. And it was all very exciting. And so we're standing in the, the foyer of the Melbourne Theatre Company and as I say, we're bored with each other. And I spot Joel Edgerton. Now, I didn't know Joel Edgerton, but I knew of his work. And I knew that we had a couple of mutual friends. So I said to Nick, look, why don't we go and hit up Joel Edgerton for a conversation? And she was like, sweet. So I walked on over and said, g'day, Joel. Gabby Rogers, you don't know me. We have these mutual friends, Eliza, Steve. Oh, how's Eliza? She's good. Sends her love, I'm sure. <laughs> and we're just chatting and shooting the industry shit, doing some hustle, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm yep. like, hey. <clears throat> and, uh, and then his mate rocks up and he goes, um, Oh, is it Gabby? Yeah, Gabby, Nicola. This is my mate Orlando. Orlando, this is Gabby. This is Nicola. Charmed. How are you? Oh, good day, mate. You're you're British. He said, Yeah, I'm just here. I'm shooting a Ned Kelly thing with with your mate Joel in Seymour, Victoria. Yeah, it's it's really great. I said, Oh, good for you. That's nice that they flew you out here to do that. That's great, Bonza. I've got family from Seymour, Victoria. Lovely neck of the woods. 
Uh, right, and then we're talking about whatever, trying to get it back to Sam Shepard, because I'm a Shepard freak. If you haven't read your Sam Shepard, get to it. Um, and then Orlando, Joel's mate, says, um, can I buy you ladies a bottle of champagne? And I said, no, don't be stupid, you're an actor. You can't be affording paying for bottles of champagne. You keep your money in your pocket, I'll get us a beer or something. I was actually pregnant. I just recently found out that I was pregnant. So this is also the shocking thing in this story that I actually said no to free champagne. And if I wasn't pregnant, arguably might have said what I said. But I said, no, you keep your money, you're an actor. You never know when you're going to need it. And this little face fell in front of me, this charming... British man's face just fell and from the gregarious, charming, present person that he was, he became this undervalued lost boy in a nanosecond in front of my face and I thought, oh, but you know, it's best that he knows. Like, just because he's working now doesn't mean that he's going to be working until <laughs> Oh, my God. Stop it. And it was about two weeks later. We were back in Sydney, you know, back to the hustle. You know, I'm probably getting an ultrasound or something by this stage. And my bestie, Nicola, calls me and she goes, bitch, Orlando. I said, sorry, what are we talking about? She said, Orlando, the guy, Joel Edgerton's mate in the foyer of the MTC. I said, yeah. She said, Orlando Bloom. <laughs> I said, No. Nori, no, Orlando Bloom's got long, straight, white hair. Oh, wait, that's a wig, isn't it? <laughs> that was Legolas. <laughs> that was Legolas. He's got long, so straight, white Legolas hair. Legolas just tried to get you guys a bottle of champagne and see what happens after, and oh, you wait. said no. Look, I've never you met You didn't Miranda just say Kirk. no, but you, like, we humili- tore I, out his I literally shot the boy down, like, just fucking idiot, you know, and... I'm not proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really not. But then, cut to a few years later, there's an episode of that fabulous Ricky Gervais show called Extras. Extras. And Orlando Bloom is playing himself. Mm. And he's playing himself, but nobody seems to think that he's interesting or charming or sexy or anything. And the first time I saw that episode, I thought, that's the face. And I wonder, did he take that story back to Ricky and say, I was in the foyer of this... (laughs) I was in the foyer of this flipping, you know, place in, in Melbourne, in Australia. <laughs> and this woman just said, no, you're an actor. I don't want your money. You never know when you're going to need it again. And we'll base the story around that. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I think we can go with that. I think, I think he, I, he, oh my he remembered that story forever. He remembered what yeah. you did to him and he went to Ricky Gervais and he said, we have to make an episode about this. But you I know mean, what? Maybe it kept him humble. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe he should thank me. Oh maybe rather than being the most obnoxious, arrogant, humiliating bitch in the foyer of the Melbourne Theatre Company, I should be thanked. Yeah, I don't know. know. Jury's still out. Tell you what, though, stupid. Felt pretty stupid. Um, Fortunately, no one was hurt. But, yeah, it it scars. Just just emotions. It's it's a very private humiliation rather than a a public humiliation. Yeah, it's not like you turned around and was like... very deep humiliation. Yeah, Yeah. because then I got to do the face. No one... But, of course, you're an actor, right? So you're constantly imagining, like, oh, this is a good moment. I'll have to remember this to play Mm. sometime because I'm on the phone... To Nicola and Nicola's telling me this thing, and I, then I had the face. Of, yeah. Oh, fuck. you know when the blood just drains out of you, and you go, Oh, oh no. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to work with Joel Edgerton um, last, or alongside him. I wasn't working with him. He's bloody marvelous and doing his own thing. But we happened to both be employed on the same production. And the moment I saw him, the first thing I thought was, Don't mention, don't mention, don't mention what I did. I personally am a really big Lord of the Rings fan, so I definitely wouldn't have uh, made that mistake. No, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't. You would have known it was a very, very well-made wig. (laughs) 
Yeah, I worked on Lord of the Rings, the, the, the Amazon that... TV show that's coming out. Did you? Yeah. How was that? Oh, a nightmare. Really? Yeah, there was another coach on set. She's, I just didn't get it. It was, well, nah. And then, <laughs> then we got sent home in the dark of night when the pandemic locked us down. And that's we all right, got that's where you were. For that's where yeah. I was when, when Andrew got sick. So there was this kind of mental... And I, I didn't want to be in New Zealand alone for the next six years but that's what we thought was happening it's like mm. you're coming over to Lord of the Rings and you're going to be here for six years and I didn't get along with this other coach and we just did, there was just this negative ends of a magnet thing going on and um and I'd asked Andrew to stay in New Zealand I'd said to my beautiful late husband don't go back to England don't go shoot the Batman you don't want to you've told me this stay in New Zealand and he didn't and then so that'll happen and then brr. so I don't I'm not in any hurry to watch the show but I will say this, the actors in the upcoming Amazon production of the Lord of the Rings prequel thing, every single actor in that show, I love. I love them. They That's are great. amazing. And the real deal, and they're from all over the world, and they were pure joy to work with. That's so, great. Yeah. Um, oh, a little question about just the accent and dialect yeah. um, uh, for the prospective actor or the aspiring actor or just actors in general. What do you think is the most needed accent for the Australian actor, or are there multiple? I think the best thing an Australian actor can do is make sure they're on top of their own voice mm. first. Would that require adapting your own natural accent? or It can do. Yeah. It can do, because, for instance, coming from... Uh, so I was born in Kalgoorlie and then... Perth, then not born there, lived in Adelaide, then Sydney. My family are originally from Melbourne. So my Australian accent has got all that kind of reach to it. Um, but my thing when I was an actor before I became a voice coach is that I, I just had no vocal energy. I was mumbly, devoiced, didn't know how to access that, that confident voice of, of just truth, do you know? And so I think that every actor should be doing voice work to develop their own accent and I meant and to, to develop their own voice but I do accent comes into it because since I've been living in um, God's own country in Queensland for the last mm -hmm. seven years which I love my home um, what I've observed is that there are dialect traits and, and, and accent traits in Queensland that are so uniquely Queensland that they're not good for an actor who wants to play into a general Australian um, sound or, or what we sometimes refer to as a cultivated or a cultured Australian accent and it's it's really just about that upward inflection that mm. Queensland upward inflection it's like oh g'day I'm, I'm Gabrielle I'm a voice coach um, I've been living in Queensland for seven years um, I really like this table uh, I got myself coffee on the way here uh, it's it's exhausting everything's to the international a ear everything yeah. sounds like a question yeah and uh, for Everything is international now. You can't make a you know a YouTube video without you expecting... You confuse the masses. You're confusing the masses. You're making it hard. <laughs> but then after that, of course, it's American. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's American because it's an international accent. People around the world are used to hearing American. And, of course, as Australian actors, we're asked to, to screen test, to self-test, to audition for, and then ultimately to play... To the American in the American accent a lot you know and so definitely you want to be on top of that after that I think you know if you're really ticking things off your bucket list to be prepared for anything I'd go for a standard British you know there's a couple of big projects that that get period pieces are mm -hmm. always shot in received pronunciation for yeah. instance. 
Is standard British received pronunciation? Or yeah. Are they different yeah. Well, yes and no, right? It's all like, yeah. yeah. Well, I just, every time you hear, yeah. I hear a British accent, it's just that, because there's so many. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a lot of different American accents, but oh my right. gosh, you go two streets away yeah. somewhere in, in the England, UK and yeah, go into a different dialect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and, it, and I kind of love that. I love yeah. that free-fall chaos that it's always changing. And mm. So the short answer is... Yeah, but no, but yeah. Um, <laughs> received pronunciation is this term that was coined some time ago, and uh, I was taught that it either means it is what one would speak to be received at court, or it was handed down. So it was the language of the class that you were born into. And it is absolutely about class because it's non-geographically specific, and that's what a standard is kind of meant to be. So that speaking in a standard Australian or a standard American or a standard UK uh, or a standard British, I should say, is about sounding like you're not from one place in particular. So um, rather than, you know, sounding like you're from South East London specifically or, you know, from um, Yorkshire, you've got this neutral sound. But what, what we use now, instead of received pronunciation in Cockney, which was like that, you know, look at little dotty kind of accent. Rather than those two, we now use the term uh, modern RP, which is like a more, think your Kira Knightley's, your Kate Winslet's, your Emma mm. Thompson's, it's a slightly more modern street version of received pronunciation, but it's very much a standard, non-geographically specific English sound. And then rather than Cockney, because there's very few people who still speak full proper Cockney, because it's, again, changing with time, now we've got what we call estuary which is like a modern, you know, it's like everything from Essex to, you know, South East London. It's got like maybe a bit of more of a multicultural feel to it. And it's not as, you know, Cockney like, you know, are you doing? It's not like, come on, you realise, you know, give your old dad a kiss. It's it's more relevant and appropriate. Um, But it's so fluid, you know, and anybody that says this is, you know, the spot on the map that is neutral it doesn't exist. We all have an accent of some sort. Mm. So without being too prescriptive, we like to use words like standard so that the story can be told in an umbrella term of North America or England, but it's not specifically from Texas, New York, California. Um, what accent do you think is the easiest to learn? For in Australians? your personal opinion, yeah, for Australians. Yeah, it has to be American for American? me because we just grow up watching it. Yeah, mm. that, that's what it. I figured. It's always you hear on the TV. when it's wrong. Yeah, like when you're speaking it, you you hear when it's wrong because you know, oh, that doesn't, like, that sound, doesn't right. sound right. Yeah. Whereas, like, you try and speak in a British accent, and I personally, I was talking to a friend from England, and he was just like, "You are jumping all over the place." <laughs> <laughs> so I was not standard. I was literally just jumping here and here and here and around here. from like Liverpool. <laughs> Newcastle to Essex to like you know Fabulous. everywhere and I was like oh great that's fun for <laughs> that's me. great and I'm I just gonna not do this anymore a lot when I was little yeah, yeah. <laughs> just depending on what I just lived what everywhere choose <laughs> where I'm from well that's the, that's the other hard thing too that you that you've put your finger on there is that as soon as you launch into an accent from a specific place there's going to be somebody who's in your circle mm. whether it's your family member or your friend or your neighbour and they're going to tell you what's wrong. Mm. So being an actor is hard enough. You've got this fraud flag flying, Mm. right? Like, I'm the Prince of Denmark, even though you know you're bloody not. So you're lying and you've got that. Then you add an accent on top of it. Now you've got two fraud flags flying of the imposter syndrome on acid, effectively, just going, I'm a big fat liar. And when actors are used to telling the truth in their acting, now all of a sudden you're telling the truth in muscles that you don't use generally to speak. So it's very scary Mm. for actors, you know, and that's why I, I am so grateful whenever I'm working as a dialect coach on a production, because 
the trust, you know, they're, they're looking at you going, is this right? <laughs> you know, I've got an Academy Award in my backpack, but I'm asking you, Gabby, is this correct? And I have to know the answer. So I feel really special and really clever and fucking terrified, you know, because it's a big responsibility. They're scared out there, you know, especially, jeez, oh, I was working with an actor just um, late last year and she's a big deal and she had to be, and I can't mention her name yet because it's not out, but... Um, big name and she was performing she had to perform in an Australian accent and you're watching somebody who is an internationally recognized award-winning actress who has hundreds of thousands if not millions of fans and you see them you know look with the fear in their eyes of like can I do this you know and it's my job to make sure that they can so it's really such a great weight of responsibility but I'm sneaky, I can go and hide backstage. They're the ones that have to go out and do it. So I I really, I treat it so seriously. And I'm a really highly sensitive person and I'm an empath and I really feel for them. So even though most of my job is sitting around drinking cups of tea and looking like I'm doing nothing all day, I am empathically suffering with them every step of their journey because not only am I scared that if they get it wrong, that's my name up there too, but I really care, I really feel for them because I think actors are... Just some of the bravest people, you know. It takes a lot of bravery to step into that fraud flag and keep going. Um, mm. And I do, I do also want people to think about the fact that it's not mandatory. There are other ways to earn a living. Like if you're not enjoying acting, go and do something else. Become a stunt choreographer or join the camera department. Or you know, there's plenty of other jobs, and you can get that excitement, that thrill of being on set, like I do, um, without being an actor. You know. But I love actors. You know, actorians. I feel like you have, you have to people. love it to be an actor. Like, oh, yeah. as, if there's anything that you could en- you could enjoy doing, mm. go do that. Yeah, <laughs> go do because it. it. Yeah, it's not work if you love it. Yeah, you know? like that's just, true. That's true. And if it's all just rejection and pain and suffering and feeling bad, then which I experienced for a little while while I was an actor because I had no technique. I was very earnest, but I, I had no technique. I was just winging it, and and I took every knock so personally. Mm. And I was not resilient. I was psychologically not resilient enough to handle it. So I'm really lucky that I found another career in that sphere hmm. um, so that I could, you know, humiliate Orlando Bloom in, the, <laughs> in a theatre for it. I'm so sorry, Orlando, if you're listening. I'm really very sorry. What has been your favourite project to work on to date? Do you know, I love that, that question. I, yeah, that I can talk about. Yeah, I love that question. Thank you. It's Ironically, it's the thing that also brought me the most tears. Um, working on a film called The Nightingale mm. in Tasmania many years ago, six years ago now, seven years ago. Uh, Damon Herriman, Ashling Franciosi, Baker Lee, I can't remember how to pronounce his surname, wonderful First Nations actor, and Sam Claflin and uh, Ewan Leslie and a bunch of other wonderful people. We were shooting down in the wilds of Tasmania and I was so green, I had no idea. And even though I've been a union member since 1994, I didn't know that the intolerable conditions (laughs) that we were shooting under, that I could have just called my union and said, this is unacceptable, can someone come and save me? And I just put up with the most abominable treatment by, (laughs) you know, standing in the freezing cold wilds of you know, cliff faces of Tasmania. That was the easy bit. The hard bit was trying to get production to give me a car to get to work. I was like bumming rides, literally putting my thumb out Jesus. some days to the crews, just kind of, can I get a lift to set? And they were like, haven't they given you a car? I was like, no. <laughs> and it was just shocking. I had no idea. I had no idea of what I was doing in terms of the system. Mm-hmm. So I put up with all kinds of stupid stuff. But 
the work and it's a bit like what we we're talking about before like it's not mandatory don't do things you don't want to do but if you love it you'll do anything you, yeah. the actors were so amazing um sam claflin was so generous with me because he, he i think he just knew you know that i was pretty green um but he was completely trusting and great and and it was just so artistically satisfying because these were actors who in spite of their successes outside of this project, were thrown literally into a kind of a heart of darkness, you know, Fitzcarraldo yeah. sort of experience with this brilliant director who was completely off on her own tangent, just this is the film we're going to make. And we were blindly behind her going, okay. But it was like a Joseph Conrad story because there were days when we had no idea if she was crazy or brilliant. Thankfully, I think she's both. But... Um, <laughs> And I thank her for the opportunity to work with her. It was amazing. But I liked that because it was really, it was an accent soup. We had lots of different accents and I was just so busy. I was so needed on set because you've got this accent, that accent, that accent, this accent. And then Bakerly was speaking in his own Australian accent, but he was a dancer. So he'd never spoken through as an art form before. So I got to, you know, give him vocal warm up yeah. stuff in the morning and, and uh, it was just a cultural, you know, explosion. So for me, so I really enjoyed that. It's called The Nightingale. It's R-rated. It's a very violent. Oh, Harry Greenwood was brilliant in it as well. It's a very violent um, and honest retelling of um, a part of Australia's history that wasn't the prettiest. And uh, it's a really important film. And I really enjoyed that. It That's felt good. meaningful, you know. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, my late husband, worked on it as well. And we <laughs> he finally got to watch it. When we were flying from uh, Brisbane to Auckland for, to set me up for Lord of the Rings, because he was going from there to England to do the Batman, mm-hmm. and we watched, he watched it on the flight. I said, you know, hey, check it, you know, the, Air New Zealand, um, and I said the Nightingale's up, and he went, oh, I finally get to see it because he'd helped prep the actors. It was the only way the production would trust me with the work, because if they got a bit of Andrew as well, mm-hmm. uh, and smart move on their behalf. Um, and he watched it, and I just remember looking at this beautiful man, just, he was just tears just streaming down his face, you know, a glass of Shiraz in his hand. And I said, baby, are you okay? As the credits were rolling, and I said, are you okay? And he just went, this is the fucking work we should be making. This is the fucking, yeah. this is what it's about. I love that. He said, that. what an amazing story. And I said, you know, it's true. Like, this is all factual stuff that's been put together in a fiction. And he just went, fuck, this is, this is the stuff. I mean, yeah. it's definitely meaningful work. Mm. I find it profoundly moving to liberate someone from their habits that they didn't even know that they had Mm. because I know what that was like for me you know when I was you know Alexander Technique and Feldenkrais Method and all these physical things that we we learnt and speech pathology and Mm. linguistics and all the things that I learnt in that in that postgraduate year at NIDA and and then continued to learn as I put into practice teaching other people the little breakthroughs that you have doing voice work are profound life-changing stuff because you can't change a habit without changing what it is that fundamental core belief that you have underneath that habit mm. that has you doing that thing in the first place yeah. you know and it, it keeps going like as I said I'm, I'm you know a million years old but it keeps going the, the practice and the craft of digging deeper as an artist every day and not, not in some kind of tortured fucked up way but just in a kind of a oh why do I why am I doing that you know why do how do I what if I don't do that? What does that mm. look like? What does that feel like? You can't not become a better version of yourself mm. than the one that you were yesterday. You know, I'm a big, big fan of um, um, 
Eckhart Tolle and Russell Brand and um, Dr. Brene Brown and all these people that are investigating, you know, what is it to be a, a human being and how can we just be kind and stuff, you know, and it's hard when we're in a resources poor environment like acting and pitching for gigs, you know, you can become quite an asshole if you're not careful, you know, it's, it's, I've lived in Bondi, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry Bondi, but you know what I mean, it can be very competitive, very dog eat dog, very shallow, yeah. you know, very meaningless. And I've, I'm really lucky. I haven't, I haven't, um, because I wasn't born pretty. I never pursued that line. I knew that I had to be artistically rigorous, you know. So I had the the gift of not being the pretty one in the in the drama class. I think you're gorgeous. I think I am too. <laughs> but I didn't know that then. Thank you. So so again, a, a fundamental core belief. Mm-hmm. You know, I believed that I wasn't pretty or I wasn't lovable, or, so I had to be good at the thing rather than just turn up. And I think that has kind of, although it was, you know, torment for people in my drama classes when I was a student, you know, I was so earnest. I couldn't sit with the other kids at lunchtime. You know, I'm 21 years old and I couldn't sit with people and have lunch with them. I'd have to go and hide in my car or go for a walk or, you know, lock myself. Yeah, (laughs) lock myself in the library. Yeah, just completely incompetent at lifing, Mm. you know. Thing. Yeah, not good at it. But thankfully, through the craft of self-exploration and specifically in my world, voice work, have been able to unpack those habits and go, well, that's a shame. But I've been really lucky enough uh, to work recently with people preparing for auditions for big things. And um, they've got a pretty you know, good head screwed on in terms of their their craft and their humanity and their, who they are and, and they're booking them and it's really wonderful to watch that happen because the good guys do sometimes win for want of a better term but the trick is to not think that you're a good guy and not try to win you know <laughs> <laughs> just go out and do you you know yeah, do the job and then forget about it and then try and just shake that shit off yeah, yeah. um just really quickly gabs because we know you have to get downstairs soon to teach at the warehouse i'm teaching yeah. i'm doing the teaching of the actorians very fun yeah. um we i did your class a while ago and you told a story um and it was about robert downey jr when you oh. were working on i think endgame i was not working on endgame was it andrew? i was with andrew who was working right. on endgame yeah. okay well yeah. when andrew was working on endgame and you were there um you told us a story about robert downey jr and him his acting when uh, i think it has something to do with um multiple multiple endings, endings to oh yeah well now I, do, I don't think i have signed an nda so i might be able to talk to this but let's see i just i just really want to hear you tell the story i just oh. I, I love the story it's stayed with me since you said it and i wow. just i wish i could remember it the way that i told it to you then that sounds really lovely <laughs> the way that i remember it now is actually all about gwyneth paltrow's performance what so okay so andrew was working with chris hemsworth uh in the character of thor mm-hmm. and they were shooting yes yeah, spoiler alert big spoiler alert but iron man dies yes. and we weren't even needed on set. I mean, when I say we, I was just there, you know, as Andrew's associate, partner, wife, person, and I would just make him cups of tea, wake him up if he fell asleep on set, <laughs> laminate vowel sheets and, you know, navigate the ridiculous software that these big production companies make us use to read scripts these days, uh, which are all about securities and quite brilliant. But um, so I was just there, you know, because I was lucky to be there. And so they're shooting the ending of... You know, when, when Iron Man or Tony Stark gets hurt. And so they shot one where he died and then they shot another one where he didn't. 
and we didn't know which one they were going to use. And we're all standing around at the sound mixer's desk, and I can't remember the sound mixer's name, but I'd spot him in a lineup, beautiful guy, sort of um, southern twang accent. And it was so intense. We were witnessing the fact that, you know, Iron Man dies. And we knew that we had to keep this secret for the next two years because everybody wants to know what happened. Everybody wanted then to know what would happen. So we all just turned to each other and said, any plans for the weekend? Yeah, thinking of taking the boys fishing. You know, oh, great, where do you go? Well, there's this place in North Carolina. We're going to go there. Like, we, you can't talk about that. So let's just, you know, bleach that from your brain immediately. But one, one thing I found really beautiful about it was that, of course, Gwyneth Paltrow's in there acting her, her guts out as well uh, in the role of Pepper Potts. And I don't look at monitors usually when we're recording because it's a radio play for me. It's, I'm, I'm there on behalf of the, the sight impaired. Um, it's, all, it's all speech. And so I had my back to the monitor. I didn't see what was going on. But Gwyneth Paltrow's performance was so moving that tears just pricked straight to my eyes as she was saying, Tony, no, Tony, no. And I just thought, isn't this profoundly moving that because there are no hard copy scripts, because we couldn't know what was going to be shot that day, Chris wasn't even in the scene. We were just hanging out and saying hi and enjoying the catering and having cups of tea and swanning about. We just found ourselves there because Andy had said, oh, I want to see Robert. And we went in and then it was kind of like, well, maybe not a good day to uh, just <laughs> stick our heads in and say, hey, hey, Downey, how you doing? You know, because like, eh, this is happening. And Gwyneth's performance was purely verbal for me and I just was so moved. And then Downey, in, you know, effortless Robert fashion, just sort of leaned back on the pile of rubble and said, oh, you better use that one. I was good in that one. Like he was just so <laughs> effortless and playful and fun and irreverent, even though he'd just broken our hearts and minds. So it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Pretty cool. I love that. That is awesome. That's okay, fun. what a fun story to end it on. Um, thank you so much. Are you Gabby kidding? Thank you, here. guys. This was so much fun. It's I... so fun to hang with you two. I really love it. And I'm sorry for your colleague who's not here. Sorry, yeah. I hope she's okay. She's fine. She'll, She'll be asleep. Fine. Yeah, she's fine. Amy's, like, sitting at home listening to this just spewing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Amy, eat the chicken soup. It's yeah. Jewish penicillin. Do what your mother told you. Eat the chicken soup. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Gabby. Um, you're phenomenal. One of the most respected people I've ever met I yeah you're fucking incredible incredible I love you you brighten every room you walk in literally dang kids <laughs> alright thank you Gabby bye stay beautiful Thank you so much, Gabby, for coming on. I have nothing but love and respect for you. And the fact that you even had the time to come onto our tiny little podcast and have a chat is just so incredible and amazing to me. Guys, she's a star. Yes. She's an absolute star. It, oh, it, absolutely phenomenal. And we loved talking to her. Um, and hopefully it gave you guys a bit of an insight to more of the dialect side of the industry and how it differs and how it relates and you know all that kind of stuff so thank you so much gabby we love you so much nothing but respect such a fun interview um we'll go straight into our goals of the week Mm. nicola i sort of prepped you on this a little bit bit. (laughs) so um my goals for the week um and this is a goal that i've had like in my brain for a very long time, but I've just like not had like the motivation to do it, but I started to have the motivation and it's just to get up earlier and do something active in the morning before I like 
go to work or even have breakfast or anything because I really struggle with getting up in the morning like it's yeah. <laughs> it's hard and so I'm just like you know what you actually enjoy doing this stuff so just bef- don't think that like I have to get ready and like do all that stuff before I leave the house just get up and like leave the house and go for a walk or a run or a swim or something nice and then come home and then I'm refreshed and ready to start my day whereas like usually I'm just like oh I don't want to get up I don't want to you know there's too yeah. many things to do before I, I can do something fun so <laughs> yeah. now I'm like why don't I just start with something fun that is my goal for the week is to do that every day <laughs> okay my goal for the week I actually haven't thought about this I prepped you but didn't prep myself great <laughs> um so I've been very sick as I said so I would like to catch up on all the things that I didn't do while I was sick so my house is a mess I did buy a vacuum so I can now vacuum the clumps of hair that has been all over the floor sorry Olivia um (laughs) i'm going camping for easter next week with my family and i'm so excited to just have four days of camping things and like not real life things i hope everyone has a really good easter happy easter everyone yeah happy easter um i should let you know i don't think i address this but this is our final episode for the season yeah oh my god i know um nine episodes kind of a weird number to end on but don't come for me um We, this is our last episode. We're um, finishing it off with a bang. And we just want to say thank you so much for listening thus far. Um, really sucks that Amy can't be here. Stay tuned. We may or may not have some bonus episodes coming your way uh, before we come out with season two, which could be really fun. Um, but no, this has been such a journey. It's been full of ups and full of downs. Um, Nicola has been present for some of those downs, which we won't discuss yet. yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but stay tuned for season two. We've got such a fun lineup planned. We cannot wait to bring you some of the guests that we've got lined up. It's just going to be so much fun. Um, so to end, end it off, end it off. Is that a, is that a saying to end it off? Oh, uh, it doesn't sound it doesn't wrong, sound right. but it doesn't, it doesn't sound right either. It's like grammatically <laughs> correct. To finish it off? Fin- I think that's what I mean. Yeah. To, to end it or finish it off? Yeah. I, don't, I think you've I combined. I think I combined them. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> so to finish it off, uh, we've got the artist of the week, um, which a few weeks ago, um, our artist of the week was Tom Dron, and we've actually gotten in contact with his sister um, for her song. So the song is called uh, Last Breath at the artist is lucy drum sorry and her song is called last breath and a bit of a blurb um that she's given me i I tried three times but nicola's gonna read it yeah lucy drum okay an introspective artist who revels rather than retreats from the pathos of life Dron shares last breath, explores the possibility of life after death and the experience that comes with facing this question. It is a deep-cutting philosophical ponder among an ebb and flow of meticulously controlled vocals and artful tempo. So fun. And thank you once again, Nicola. Thank you for filling in for Amy. We we love to have you on. Um, Well, thank you for having me. You have such a nice deep husky sexy podcast voice well i mean i've been working on it for a long time and i mean partially i mean gabby rogers is partially to thank for that i have her vocal warm-up pinned up on my wall well there you go (laughs) uh thank you again nicola thank you lucy amy we hope you're okay um and keep dreaming thanks guys keep dreaming